This podcast was first broadcast on Fresh FM, the top of the South community access radio station. For more information on Fresh FM, as well as links to other great local podcasts, go on our website freshfm.net or download the accessmedia.nz app. Tenakoto Kato and welcome along to another episode of Corefront Radio. I'm your host today, Jonathan Puddock, one of our research scientists at the Corfron Institute. And I'm carrying on my series talking to some of Corfron's early career researchers. Today on the show, I've got Dr. Rob Major. He did his PhD at Corfron starting about six years ago in our aquaculture research group. And since then, he's stayed on to work with us in our coastal and freshwater research group. Welcome along to the show, Rob. Good morning, Jonathan. All right. So it's actually been a long time then um, since you joined us at Corfron. How did you end up with us? So I ended up at Cawthron uh, when my partner first moved to Nelson. Uh, she got a job out at the Glen Aquaculture Park working with SPAD NZ. And I was actually overseas at the time in Cambodia. And so I came back and was looking for work and got to know a lot of people at Cawthron. And they recently started a research program looking at new ways to catch scampi, which is a type of deep sea lobster. And that really appealed to me. So there was an opportunity there to do a PhD. So I took that up and the rest is history, really. Yeah, cool. So it's a bit of a, a family affair, sort of who you know kind of scenario. Oh, it's always good to have pre-existing relationships with people. It makes working with them a lot easier and, and knowing that everyone gets on. All right. So you did a PhD project on these scampi. Can you give our listeners a little bit of a spiel about what you are trying to find out about these aquaculture organisms? So scampi are deep sea uh, lobsters, uh, sort of similar to crayfish. They live between 200 and 400 metres around the coast of New Zealand. And they're, they're actually really, they're a del- delicacy. They're very delicious. And there's a deep sea fishery for them. And they're all caught by these big trawl nets. And deep sea trawling drags along the seafloor and it's actually very damaging to those ecosystems down there. And about 80% of what they catch is bycatch, so it's fish that aren't actually scampi. So our project aimed to work with a a Farnau-owned fishing company that thought there was a better way of doing this, sort of based off their sense of kaisiakitanga. So they got Cawthra involved to try and approach this problem from two different angles. The first was agriculture, so trying to grow more scampi and close the life cycle. And the other way was to develop new pots and ways of catching them. So my PhD was on the fisheries side of it. And because we had the aquaculture animals, we had all these scampi in captivity in a recirculating aquaculture facility out at the Glen. So I was looking at, are there ways of finding baits to put into these pots to catch the scampi? So we did a lot of behavioral experiments where you'd put a bait at one end of a tank and you'd just scampi the other and we'd sort of video them and do image analysis to see how they were moving across the tank to try and find those baits. Ah, so it was a bit of a scampi culinary expedition. So what sort of baits, as you say, or sort of foods that scampi might like were you trying out? So scampi, they track their food and find their food through their chemosensory system. So they have all these little hairs that are on bodies and on their antenna. And so what we were doing was trying to find food that they'd respond to, how they respond to it in different ways. So we tried things like fish, oily fish, uh, which because the oils in the fish leak out and the, the, they are sort of, the scampi are more sensitive to those oils or the chemosensory hairs are more sensitive to those oils. So you stronger response to them. We also tried squid, uh, other crabs and a few things like that. So did it end up that the stinkier was the better? Yeah, so the oily fish that sort of leaked these amino acids at higher rates were were more attractive to the scampi, yeah. 
So not so good for the fishermen. <laughs> Actually, one of the interesting things about that was we we found a way of diluting those those stinkier baits, so those oils. So you'd be able to take the oily fish and blend it up and then set it in alginate or sort of a block of gelatin. And that even at 1% or 10% of the makeup of that block of gelatin being fish, we'd still get similar responses from the scampi as to a whole piece of fish. Uh-huh. So the exciting thing about that is that, were, well, it's not as stinky for the fishermen, but it also means you can use much less of these fish material to catch the same amount of scampi, hopefully. It's really cool. So it's more efficient and you can actually get more people to go out and use the bait because it's not so horrible. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's part of that sustainability message again, where you're not using a kilo of fish to catch a kilo of scampi. So you're trying to cut down on all those sorts of things. Right. So you did a lot of work on the actual bait that you used to attract them to the trap, but could you just use any old trap that we were using already? Uh, no. So we also did a whole other body of work that was focused on designing traps. There's a similar species in, in Europe, and we got traps from there to try and catch our scampi with. And we went out to the to the Jetamarais and fished our pots, and all we got in our pots were hagfish, which are these big, slimy eels. And the fishermen were very unimpressed with that. So we came back to the lab. We tried to figure out, firstly, why the scampi weren't going into those pots. And secondly, if there was another way to design pot entrances that the scampi are more happy to, to go through or more able to go through. So we did a whole other lot of experiments with that. And we found that when the scampi were approaching traps, they'd hold their claws in a very wide sort of stance. And whenever those claws would hit anything, they'd retreat backwards. So when you had a traditional sort of pot entrance, the entrance was far too narrow. So we designed traps that didn't have a, a proper a nutritional entrance. They were more like conical traps, so the scampi would walk up them and fall onto them. And we found the perfect angle for those uh, for scampi to walk up and sort of the size and, and width of those things. So. Lots of trial and error to get to that point? Yes, lots of behavioural experiments and sort of trying to figure out why animals weren't responding the way you thought they'd respond. But that's yeah, part of the okay. fun of these things. Yeah, and so you said earlier that scampi are a deep sea crustacean. Does that mean that it's actually pretty dark down in the deep sea? Did you have to do everything in the dark as well? Uh, yeah, we did. So as, as you say, it's so dark down there, their eyes get damaged by any light. So what we had to do was we had our laboratory facility was completely in the dark, but under uh, infrared light. So we, we had little infrared head torches to be able to see the animals and do our experiments. So that added an extra layer of fun to trying to deal with these things. If you've just joined us, welcome to Corfron Radio. I'm talking to Dr. Rob Major about his exciting PhD research on the scampi fishing industry in New Zealand and what he's been getting up to with that. So just so that we can talk about some other things that we've been doing, we're going to move on in a second, but any highlights from your PhD work? Yeah, so the highlights for me were actually going out in the fishing boats. We spent up to two weeks out on the Chatham Rise on on the scampi boats, fishing the pots and the baits trying to find out ways of making that work. So it was re- that was really important to understand the environments that these guys are working in and the practicality of how our science could be applied to what they're trying to do. And then I also really enjoyed the problem-solving aspect of, of working with a new species and designing experiments that we could do to try and get them the best information out. Yeah, no, that sounds really, really cool. So it's been a few years since you've finished up your PhD and now you're Dr. Rob, but we've still got you here at Corfron. Um, what have you been up to since then? Uh, so once I finished my PhD, the Scampi program was still ongoing. So then I started a postdoc to help finish the program and achieve the goals. And the two ways I did that was trap experiments we've talked about before. So I did a lot of work with on those, trying to help the team wrap those up. And we managed to get a paper published out of that. And then I also did a little bit of a pivot. And we, we started asking all these questions about like, okay, how, we can catch a couple of scampi per pot. 
how many scampi do we need to make that economically viable so the guys can make money out of the fishery? So I started doing some bioeconomic modeling and quantifying how many animals we need to catch and sort of the ways the research can be improved by having a financial understanding of sort of the fishing industry, really. Yeah, how's it looking? Look like it might be something that we can plough ahead with here in New Zealand? Uh, unfortunately not. We were catching, we caught seven scampi out of 2,000 pot lifts, found we needed to catch four scampi per pot for it to be economically viable. So while that side of it didn't work, the fishermen were catching a ling in um, the pots that we had in similar pots, and they've done really well out of that. So there's a little side spin off for deep sea yeah, potting for cool. fish now. The window opens after a door closes. No, exactly. So that was it's really exciting to see the way that our Waikawa Fishing Company have picked that up and ran with it. Yeah, does that mean that sort of the aquaculture side of the scampi program becomes a lot more important now? Uh, yes. So we've been continuing to work on the aquaculture side of that, and we did uh, some economic modelling for that as well. So Kevin Heesman's us, our lead scientist at, at Cawthron for the aquaculture, and we've got the scampi through to, so the eggs are hatching in captivity, and they're growing up to sub-adults and juveniles. So he's done really well achieving that, getting that far. Yeah, so that's really cool that you've been able to take your research from real fundamental side of things to sort of an applied side and then sort of out into the future, figuring out whether it's a, a viable option. Since you've started working for us as opposed to doing your PhD, have you sort of had different type of work that you've been up to? Yes, so I've got involved with the Coastal Ecosystems team and we do a whole range of consultancy work through from fish farm monitoring through to trying to find new places to put aquaculture sites. So I've worked with people up in the Bay of Plenty, helping them make uh, decisions around what they should do with their water space through to a trip to the Chatham Islands um, at the end of last year, trying to find new sites for shellfish aquaculture. Yeah, cool. And what was the Chatham Islands like? It's a place that not many New Zealanders get to go to, but we've sort of all heard of it. Yeah, it seems to be on everyone's bucket list. It's a fascinating place. The people are fantastic and they really respect their marine environment. And they're also very keen to have new opportunities to do things out there. So they were very excited about the idea of aquaculture and having a new industry and a new way of making some money out on the and the islands while also um, respecting the environment. Great. And anything exciting coming up in 2021 for you? Uh, yeah, so the biggest program I'm working on in 2021 is a, a national science challenge looking at seaweed aquaculture and trying to find new ways how we can support the industry as it grows to make sure it's environmentally friendly as well as, as profitable. So that sort of brings together sort of the, the sort of innovation and science from my PhD with some of the economic modelling. Yeah, no, that's really great that when we've got these fledgling industries, we're able to start off how we plan to continue into the future. <laughs> All right, so we're getting to the end of the show today and something that we do here on Corefront Radio is our science wish. So if you didn't have any barriers or obstacles, is there something that you'd really like to do or something you'd like to see more of in the science world? Thinking about this, and probably in hindsight from uh, 2020, my science wish is that they taught science in a way that was focused on some of the skills we used, and it's about critical thinking, and being able to interpret information from different information sources, and to understand where it's coming from and the best way of using that. And I think you look at the COVID response, and you look at how people are trying to deliberately mislead the public. I think if we taught science as a critical thinking skill rather than a, a knowledge acquisition skill, it would be a good way of moving forward and helping people decipher this deliberate misinformation 
information and make good decisions with information they get. Yeah, no, I look forward to seeing a future where we've got more of that going on. So thanks so much for coming on the show, Rob. And thanks to our listeners out there. And don't forget you can listen to other Corfron radio shows using the Fresh FM website. That's freshfm.net or on iTunes. Just search for Corfron. Thanks for listening. Have a great week and ka kite anō. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for making this podcast available by funding the Access Media Project. Other great podcasts from Fresh FM are available through the accessmedia.nz app or our website freshfm.net.